Hello and welcome to 10-Minute Treadmill Stories. Hi, I'm Stacy. I'm Jonah. New stories every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can always get a hold of us at stacyandjonah at gmail.com. Today, Stacy, I wanted to tell you about Ida B. Wells, an investigative journalist, a civil rights leader, a teacher, one of the founders of the NAACP, and widely regarded by historians as the most famous black woman of her lifetime. Ida B. Wells was born into slavery in Mississippi in 1862, so just before the Emancipation Proclamation. She was freed with that proclamation along with her family, and in the few years after the Civil War, in the Reconstructionist period, her parents got involved in politics. They made sure to instill the love of education to their children. And unfortunately, were also taken from her at an early age. She went to visit her grandmother, and while she was away, she learned that both her parents and her youngest brother got yellow fever, and they all died when Ida was just 16 years old. Oh, how awful. They left behind her, and if I'm doing the math correct, six other siblings. So along with her grandmother, Ida needed to take care of the family, so she dropped out of school. She lied about her age so she could get a job as a teacher instead of being a student. Moved the family to Memphis, Tennessee, where they lived and where most of her story takes place. So she's already got a lot on her plate. Also, just for image's sake, Ida is under five feet tall. So a very imposing woman uh, mentally. uh, She's a very talented writer, a very forceful speaker, but quite diminutive in size. Okay. So her and her family are in Memphis, Tennessee. And as I mentioned, along with being a teacher, she is a talented writer. And she soon joined the Memphis Free Speech and Headlight. Now, this is a publication that used to be called the Memphis Free Speech, and it was a black-owned newspaper owned and started by the Reverend Taylor Nightingale. Now, it became the Memphis Free Speech and Headlight when J.L. Fleming, who used to edit the Marion Headlight, joined the paper and they merged the names. Mm. I'm mentioning this to you because it paints a picture of what it was like for black people in the South around this time. He actually had to abandon his original newspaper after he was run out of the county where he was working, Crittenden County, Arkansas, by a white mob who decided they needed to, and I quote, liberate the county from black rule. Gross. This is going to be a recurring theme in this story. So they came together in Memphis and made this newspaper. They were impressed by Ida and asked if she would contribute to the paper, but she refused unless she could become an equal partner. Wow. She she wasn't messing around. And in fact, her grandson said that she was of such a specific uh, personality and that she suffered no fools, though she found them everywhere, that <laughs> it was hard for her to maintain some personal relationships or even for some people to be able to work with her in some cases because she really was a, a visionary, but her vision was strong. Now we call that someone with no filter. <laughs> So she joined. She became an equal owner. She was the editor, and another one of them was the the sales rep and and that kind of stuff. But she edited and was a third owner of this newspaper. And Ida B. Wells is most famous for exposing lynching and lynching culture in the South, investigating it, investigating the causes, investigating the falsehoods that were perpetuated by white society in order to basically excuse the crowd murders of black Americans. 
And she started covering all of this because her friend was actually the victim of a white mob. And she began to closely scrutinize the reasons that were ascribed to this violence. And she really ended up honing on this one falsehood, this one large kind of propaganda that was being spread around the South at this time, which was that black men sexually assault white women. That was like, and I'm saying in quotes, a known fact. She looked into it and she saw that over 60% of mob killings of black men, there was never any allegation of sexual assault. So she started to pull apart all these reasons and really say, no, you're not doing this for justice. You're not doing this for the law. You're doing this because you're racist. Her writing was insightful, well-researched, and bold, and so many people were drawn to her stories that her stories began to be picked up nationally. Now, the attention was good for the cause, but it also, of course, drew attention to her from the people who were perpetuating the violence. And this is kind of where it came to a head for her in Memphis, Tennessee. In a now-famous editorial, Wells wrote about what she termed, and I'm quoting from her, the threadbare lie that Negro men rape white women. And she went on to write, If the Southern men are not careful, a conclusion might be reached which will be very damaging to the moral reputation of their women. So in no uncertain terms, and especially for the time in which she was writing it, it was very forward and very bold for her to say, listen, this is absolutely not true. If you really want to discuss this, this is just interracial relationships that you are having trouble with. And if you really want a deep dive, you're going to find out that these consensual relationships might just speak more badly as far as the way you look at things on your women than you're saying what our men do. And again, this is, you know, the late 1800s, a very honestly dangerous thing for her to do. But she thought that this was so necessary to take head on. And and I agree. So days later, after she published this editorial, a white mob fell upon the newspaper. They ransacked the office. They destroyed the building. They they took everything or destroyed things that were inside and ran her out of town. She said in her diary that, and I quote, I thought at the time it was the white Southerners chivalrous defense of their womanhood which caused the mob to destroy my paper. I know now, though, that it was an excuse to do what they had wanted to do before, but had not dared because they had no good reason until the appearance of that famous editorial. So after they ransacked the office, the threats of violence did not subside, and eventually for her own safety and the safety of her family, she was forced to move to Chicago. That didn't stop her, and she continued her mission of not only investigating and exposing Uh, these crimes in the South, but sharing it to a worldwide audience and bringing the attention to these issues. She also married Ferdinand Barnett in Chicago, a well-known lawyer, and the couple had four children together while still maintaining their professional careers and activism. Wow. Although more she than he. This was, again, early for this to happen, but Ferdinand ended up committing to be the person who was the caretaker of the family, so often committing to cooking and taking care of the kids in a more of a homemaker role so Ida could continue her prolific career. Wow. 
And as I said, Ida traveled all over the world giving talks and exposing the horrors of lynchings in the South. She was an advocate for inclusive women's suffrage, so she would really come at suffragettes who didn't want to recognize the racial injustices. And as we know, white women were given the right to vote way before black women were included in the right to vote. She also, even though she doesn't appear on the charter, she was in Niagara Falls for the founding of the NAACP and is widely recognized as a founding member. Also, her reporting style set the groundwork for investigative journalism of today, the way that she wrote the exhaustive research that she not only combed through but then presented to the people. These were things unheard of in her time that really set the stage for the future and also set the stage for future civil rights movements. A lot of the stuff she did in the 1800s, including coming up with the idea of economic boycotts of certain industries that were racist, that was widely used in the 1960s. And although she isn't widely credited for it, it was basically her idea to do something like that. I'm really glad you are telling this story because telling her story because I know the name Ida B. Wells, but I had no idea how much she accomplished. No idea. It was a lot. And as I mentioned earlier, she was unapologetic for the entire time. In fact, she and this almost seems like a flip and turn of phrase, but she kind of fell out of favor for other activists because she was so committed to one side and not willing to compromise that while her voice was so loud and so clear, they ended up kind of paying attention to more middle ground activism. So I guess their idea was a compromise could be reached. She was uncompromising. And in fact, later in life, unfortunately, that turned out to be a disadvantage for her continuing career. What a badass, though. For real. She did draw an international spotlight to racial violence. She's widely considered by historians to be the most famous black woman of her lifetime. And in 2020, she was posthumously awarded a Pulitzer Prize special citation for, and I'm quoting, her outstanding and courageous reporting on the horrific and vicious violence against African Americans during the era of lynching. And while her life was constantly threatened, Ida B. Wells died of natural causes at the age of 68 from kidney disease. And that is the story of Ida B. Wells. Thank you for sharing. That was amazing. 